2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It's not a new passage of Scripture, but I think it will speak to us tonight by the grace of God. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is, he is not willing that any should come, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it uses the word, he is long suffering. Now that passage is used, that word is used other places in Scripture, but it is a great description of God. He is long suffering. He's patient with me. Don't laugh. He's patient with you too. Hallelujah. You may be seated. God bless you as we look to the word of the Lord. The Lord is, is long-suffering to usward. He is patient in the way we act and we live and we react to him. He's patient he doesn't jump to conclusions about how we're acting. He doesn't make assumptions about our conduct. He knows, and in his knowledge, he is long-suffering to usward. Are any of you thankful that God has been patient with you a time or two? There's been a time or two where I sure tried his patience, I'm sure, but he was patient with me. And I'd just like to preach tonight, God is the God of second chances. And when we think we've ran as far as we can down the road and, and totally have taken His patience for granted, He still is long-suffering. He is a God of second chances. He offers us the opportunity to renew ourselves, to refresh ourselves to catch a new lift of vision from time to time when it seems like it's going a little flat and, and our connection with God is kind of going flat. But He's patient with us. He's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. He's long-suffering. I don't know how many of you own your own business. I know some of you do. But one of the hardest things for a business to get is customers. Now it's kind of hard to get employees, but but you can you can generally hire employees, but you can't hire customers. You have to appeal to them in some fashion and get them to to come to you. I was at a place not long ago, and and there was a, a situation that had happened, and and the someone had came into the place and then they'd walked out. They didn't want whatever they had to offer there that day. And the, the owner of the business was talking to me and he said, you know, that's tough when they come in and then they go out before you've even had a chance to touch them at all. It's like they give up too quick. But it's hard to get a customer. And once you get a customer, you don't want to lose that customer because it's hard to get another customer. And I do believe that God understands that it is hard for him to get a convert. 
if you want to use that phrase. It is hard for him out of all of the folk in the world for him to draw someone to him because it, it hinges on their will, their reaction to his drawing. So when he gets them, he is not impatient with them. He wants to keep them. He wants to keep you and he wants us to keep me. Even when we have our times of drifting, our times of struggle, it is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he works with us. And that time when he gives us that ch second chance, it's kind of like that metamorphic change that happens with a butterfly or to a butterfly. You know, at first they're just a caterpillar crawling along on a limb. But somehow, thanks to God, some would say Mother Nature, but we know it's God. God touches that caterpillar, and that caterpillar comes to a halt, spins a web or a cocoon, or how do you pronounce a word that starts with a C-H? Chrysalis. Chrysalis. And then after a period of time, he starts bursting through that chrysalis, but what went into that chrysalis, that's my new word, what went into that chrysalis is totally different than what comes out of the chrysalis. It's as if God, the Creator, has given that lowly caterpillar a second chance and they change from a caterpillar crawling to a wondrous, vibrant, airborne, flying, soaring, beautiful butterfly. Or maybe it's like a lobster. A lobster goes through a molting season. A lobster can only grow so much until that shell, that hard shell, confines him. He busts out of that shell, and for a while, he's... You know, I've always wondered, if a turtle lost his shell, would he be homeless or naked? I've always wondered that. Do y'all know? What would he be, homeless or naked? Both, yes. And But when a lobster molts, the back of his shell cracks, and that small lobster comes out of that shell, goes through the molten season, develops a new and larger shell, and he's now can, he now can be a bigger and larger lobster because he, he put aside the old in order to take on the new. Or what about a snake? Did you know that snakes shed their skins? My wife almost hurt herself one time. She was working in a flower bed at the house. A rent. We have a koi pond with a waterfall, and she was working among the rocks there. And a snake had been there and left his, you know, like a five-and-a-half-foot skin left laying up in all those rocks, and she reached to get pull grass or something, and there was that snake skin. She thought it still had something in it, but it didn't. But what happened to the snake? He shed that skin, and he put aside the old so he could put on the new. He was bigger, better, newer, improved with that new shell. That's what God does when he gives us our second chances. It's, it's wonderful that he can do that for us. Without putting aside the old, we can never take on the new. There's a real common illustration. I know you all have heard it. I started to do it tonight, but I says, that's such an old familiar illustration. They know it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play like I do it. Right here I have a large glass jar. It's clear glass so you all can see what's in it. And what is inside my glass jar is rocks, or rocks to be correct. 
What's inside it are rocks. Now, they're, they're large rocks. And I ask you the question, can I put anything else in this jar or is it full? And your answer is, it's full because it was full of rocks. And so I have a little container over here of smaller pebbles. And I start pouring pebbles into my jar and I shake my jar and I pour some more pebbles in it and I shake my jar and they all work down and I pour some more pebbles and I shake my jar and pretty soon I've poured my whole container of pebbles into this container that you said was already full of rocks. But now it's full of rocks and pebbles. And I ask the question, now is my jar full? And you're supposed to say, yes, your jar is full. And then I, take a, I have a container of sand here, and I take the sand, and I start pouring it into my jar, and I shake it, and I pour some sand, and I shake it, and I pour some more sand, and I shake it, and I pour some more sand, and pretty soon it's level up to the top with sand and rocks and pebbles. And I ask the question to you wonderful congregation, is my jar full? And you're supposed to say, yes, your jar is full. And then I reach down and I get a pitcher of water and I start pouring water into my jar of rocks and pebbles and sand and, and I keep pouring water and shaking, pouring water and shaking, letting all the air bubbles get out, pour water, shake it, pour water, shake it. And after a while, it's brimful with water. I set the remainder water pitcher down and I ask you, is the jar full? And what is your answer? Yes, it's full. And then I asked the question, and what did you learn from this object lesson? According to one of the stories about that illustration, it was for professor and students, the student says, what we learned is there's always room in your life for something else. He said, well, that's not the answer I wanted you to have, but it, it may appear to be true. But the real answer is, if you don't put the big stuff in first, you'll never get it in later. Because if you would have put it full of sand at the first, you could have never gotten those big rocks into that jar. And so if you want your life to matter and your life to count, you've got to put the important things in your life first. The Bible says, the Bible principle, seek ye first the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and all these other things will be added to you. Now, that's the illustration that I started to give to you tonight. But my question is, what happens when what you have in the jar to start with is wrong? What happens if what is in the jar is not what you want in the jar of your life? What do you do? It's the same jar and it's the same rocks in there, but it's a different question. What happens when the things that are in your life are not what you want in your life? I understand that everything in my life, I did not choose them. There are some of them that, I, that are beyond my reach. But really, if there's something in your life that you don't want, the simple answer is dump it out and start over. I understand there's some things I can't dump out. If I don't like the way I look, I can't dump that out too easily I guess there's some things I could do about that but so how do you start over how do you take advantage of the God of the second chance what can you do 
to, to, to get him back into your life the way it needs to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm not a construction guy. My younger son, Brad, loves to remodel bathrooms. That's just something he loves to do. And he's, he's told me several times, some of the most fun that he gets in remodeling a bathroom, you know, somebody called and said, Brad, we'd like for you to come and remodel our bathroom. He says, my first question is, how, how much of a remodeling are you talking about? And they say, well, you know, maybe a different countertop, you know, maybe a newer commode. He said, I like to keep talking to them. I want them to take it back to the bare two-by-fours. I want to do it all. That old linoleum that's been down there so long and stinks, I want to change that linoleum into some tile because I love doing tile work. But he said, Daddy, I found out that in order to do a renovation, a remodeling of a bathroom, you've got to tear out the old before you can put in the new. Often when you start tearing out the old, you find some rotten floorboards under there. You find some linoleum that has mold in it that you need to get rid of. You find a cabinet underneath the sink that the whole bottom of that cabinet's rotted out because it had a leak and never maintained it. Well, you don't maintain a leak. You correct the leak. He said, so I love to take it back to the bare stud wall and redo everything because that's kind of how life really is when you want to be to take advantage of the God of the second chance. You've got to tear everything out and start over. I do a little counseling occasionally, and I tell people when I'm counseling, they, they want to know, what's the process going to be like? You know, I said, well, you've already told me some things. You have some baggage. You have some issues. You have some problems. And, and the process is going to look kind of like cleaning out a closet. We go to your closet, you and I together, and we take everything out of your closet and we put it over here. So you have a totally clean closet. Now, it's not serving any purpose. It's just an empty, clean closet. But then everything we took out, we start taking it one by one, those pieces, those issues, that baggage, whatever the situation, one by one we take it and examine it. Does this need to be in my life? If it doesn't need to be life in your life, it can go to goodwill, it can get throw, thrown away, it can get burned, whatever. But if it needs to go back into your life, then we make sure it's straight, orderly, and we put it back in the closet. The only thing that goes back into the life, into the closet of your life, is those things that are beneficial to you in the kingdom of God. Those things that are profitable to you in the kingdom of God. And when you, when you come back, it gets messy for a while when you're cleaning it out. But when you get it finished, it's great. That is kind of like being, going to the God of the second chance. Everything get, may get messy for a little while, but if you will be patient with the work of that master craftsman as he works in your life, he will allow you and help you to clear out the old, but it's because he's going to build you into a new creature in Christ Jesus. He's the master. He's the God of new beginnings. And he's good at it. In Luke chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus is talking about some things. They've asked him some questions about how his disciples fast and when and why they fast and some other subjects. And in the middle of this subject, this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, verse 37. He starts talking about the 
the keeper of the vineyard who had made new wine. And, and Jesus said, you don't take that new wine and put it in old bottles. Now, the bottles were not glass milk bottles like we have today. It was probably a, a leather flask type of a bottle. You don't, take, you don't take new wine and put it into these old, dry, leather flasks. The reason is because that new wine is active, it, it's, it's working, and I put quotes around that, that wine is working, and when you put it in those old wineskins or that old leather bottle, then it, it will probably burst that old flask and you'll lose the good wine because it was put in an old vessel. God has some wonderful things to give to you and to give to me, but He cannot put them in our old vessel. He cannot put them in what we used to be. But He's the God of second chances. He wants to make that metamorphic change in us that we were once out of sorts with God, but He wants to bring us into complete harmony with God. How does He do that? He does that by making us into a new vessel. He doesn't leave us in that old dry-rotted state, but He brings us, in, us into a new vessel condition and allows us to be able to put into us that new wine. He makes us a new creature. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 22, reading two or three verses here. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In this, pa in this passage of Scripture, we put off the old man and we put on the new man. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it's a very similar passage of Scripture. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Get my verses straight. We put off the old man and we put on the new man. God has a purpose in our life and he cannot do it with our old man. He's the, he's the God of second chances. He doesn't leave you where He finds you, but He can bring you into a brand new, renewed restoration with Him, which is worth everything to us. In the Bible, there are several stories. I would like to present just a few of them as vignettes of Scripture. I want to just race through some people in the Bible who God gave a second chance. I'm not going to tell the whole story. That would take a while, but... But let's go to Noah, the time of Noah. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He lived in a wicked world. And God did despise the world that Noah lived in, but he loved Noah. And so he was determined to save Noah if Noah would cooperate. So he gave instructions to Noah, build an ark. It's going to rain. It's going to flood. Everybody's going to drown that doesn't get on the ark. And so Noah begins building the ark. He obeys God. He puts off that old world style because he's anticipating the new world style, the after the flood, the post flood style. He, he's looking to a better day. He built an ark to the saving of his family. Noah went from the rain to a rainbow 
all because there was a God who gave them a second chance. And then there was a widow facing starvation. Her and her son was going to eat this little bit of meal and all, eat it, and then they were going to die. The prophet came along, and he said, well, why don't you give me something to eat? So she said, well, all I have is just it. He said, he said, prepare me a cake. She made a little cake for the prophet. He ate it, and then he said, make one for you and your son. She went back to the cruise of all and the, the barrel of meal, and there was plenty there for another meal, and she fixed it for her son. And they kept going back to that what had been an empty barrel of meal and an empty cruise of oil, but God gave them a second chance. She went from an empty cruise of oil and an empty meal barrel, and she became a woman of plenty because God's a God of second chances. What about the woman who had a couple of sons, and the sons were, were going to be sold into slavery because of some debts that hadn't been paid after the death of her husband? She was disturbed by it. And she was instructed by the prophet to gather the, all of the vessels in the village and take her one little cruise of oil and start pouring into those vessels. And out of all the vessels that they gathered into the house, that one little cruise of oil that she had, they poured it into that vessel by vessel by vessel, filled them all. She sold all of that, paid her debts, and had money to live on after that. Why? Because the God of second chance took her from a woman who owed a debt to a woman who could pay her debt and had plenty left over. Why? Because God is a God of second chances. Don't ever sell yourself short. When you think you're bumping up against the wall and you can't go any further, just remember, God has plenty of room on the other side of that wall. And the God of second chances wants to carry you beyond that wall into a land of plenty in Him. In Him. Whatever that plenty needs to be for you. After Jesus came to the earth, he was walking through a city one day in the city of Nain, and there was a woman who was grieving. She was in a funeral procession. Her son had died, her only son. He was in the casket. They were carrying him to bury him. Jesus stopped by. He stopped the casket. He spoke to the son, raised him from the dead. And when the son was raised from the dead, this grieving widow woman went from a grieving person to a rejoicing person, all because God is a God of the second chance. And when you think your, your situation is at its dead end, just remember, there's a second chance for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus sailed across the Sea of Galilee on a boat, come to the banks of the land of Gadara. <clears throat> there was a wild man, a demon-possessed man, who had been living in the tombs. A wild man bound him with chains and, and the, the power of Satan would come upon him so strongly he would break the chains. It was a superhuman strength that he exercised at that point. He would break the chains and frighten the, the, the village, the city. Everyone was afraid of him. He was a man who lived in the tombs. But when the God of the second chance came along... There was a totally different happening in that man. Instead of hiding and sleeping and living in the tombs, he came to town, he came to the seacoast where the Lord was, and he fell at the feet of Jesus. He left the tombs and went to the feet of Jesus because he came in contact with the God of the second chances. It's a wonderful thing to know who he is. What about Andrew and Peter? Andrew and Peter were working men. They were fishermen. 
But Jesus crossed their paths and Jesus said, You have been fishers, but I am going to make you fishers of men. The God of the second chance took them from a successful occupation they were involved in and brought them to a brand new, divine, eternally worthy occupation for them to be fishers of men. Whenever God of the second chance comes into your life and ministers to you, there's no telling how your direction will change. There's no telling what will be different in your life, but you can rest assured you will pass from the old and worse, from the new and better. You'll be new and improved for sure. Or what about Peter? Peter followed Jesus Christ, but when they got to the Garden of Gethsemane, when the, when the tough times started, the soldiers came to get Jesus. Peter was fairly brave at that point. He drew his sword and cut off the ear of Malchus, so Malchus' servant, cut his ear off, and God just put that ear back on. I've always would have loved to have been there to watch that happen. I'm glad in the darkness of night he didn't get it upside down. But God had a, had a purpose for Peter. Peter left that where he was showed bravery and courage perhaps. And then they took Jesus to Pilate's Hall and some other places where he was tried. And, and Peter was a little hesitant to go into the, the courtroom or where, the, where the, the judging was going on. And he stayed on a little porch area. There was a fire there. He was warming himself by the, by the fire. And people started saying, you're, you're one of Jesus' disciples. He said, no, 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 not me, not me. Oh, yeah, you're one of his. No, not me. And finally he cursed and says, no, I'm not one of Jesus' disciples. Oh, your speech betrays you. And, and he was afraid. He was, he was cowering in the shadows around that little fire. But yet just a few days later, on the day of Pentecost, somehow he's been infused with courage. And the cowardice that was so prevalent around the fire, now after he's been filled with the Holy Ghost in fire, he's able to stand before all those people and on the day of Pentecost declare a salvation message that still rings true and effective in our world today. What made him go from the chicken house of Gethsemane and the, and the judgment hall to the powerhouse of the day of Pentecost? It was the God of second chances. God gave him another opportunity to rise to the occasion and be what God wanted him to be because God's a God of second chances. No matter how far you go down the wrong road, you can always turn around. I did that the other day. Turned around in somebody's driveway almost in their yard because I decided I didn't want to go down that wrong road anymore. Why well, keep going looking for a good turnaround? Make one. So I turned around and headed the right. It's never too late to do right. It's never too late to turn around and go the right way. You can do it. It'll work. Jesus does allow U-turns. He does. Someone said, we cannot become what we want to be by remaining what we are. By laying aside the old, we can pick up the new. God's the God of second chances. That takes us to our text that we open with. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Second chance. 
When Jesus talked about forgiveness, they said, how many times do we have to forgive? He's, they said, seven times, uh, seven times, seven times, 70. And Jesus just kept enlarging their understanding of what forgiveness was. And when I'm saying God's a God of second chances, I am not limiting him to just two. Because he's given me more than two. How many of you has God given a second chance? He's allowed you, in spite of your issues, in spite of your walking backwards on the path, God gave you that time to repent, that time to make a U-turn, that time to turn around and walk in the right direction. God is such a wonderful help to us. I enjoy reading some poetry and, and some prose I enjoy reading, but I want to read you a little, a little piece uh, there may be a little bit of rhyme, but not much, mostly prose. But Dorothy Johnson wrote a deal called A Morning Prayer. And I want you to listen. First of all, she's got some good poetical lines in there that I really like. But here's what she wrote. Oh, Lord, I long to love you with my whole heart, honor you with my entire being. Yet even my most noble intentions fall apart and rattle around, mocking me as they're ground to dust and drift out through the shattered places of my soul. Yet, I remember you have always known and loved me, even in my brokenness. Thank you for the power of the cross and the promise of second chances. Send your breath of life to blow away yesterday's failures. Guide me by your spirit into your best for this new day. I like the way Ms. Johnson penned those words. It, was, it just had some poetic stuff. And my most noble intentions fall apart and rattle around, mocking me as they're ground to dust and drift out through the shattered places of my soul. I like that phrase. But then she says, thank you for the power of the cross and the promise of second chances. Take a little imagination trip. Your, your students in a, in a class of 11 or 12-year-olds. It's fall time of year. And the teacher tells all of the students there, it's fall time of year. The leaves are beautiful colors right now. And we have a project. For this whole entire month, every day, I want you to bring a fall-colored leaf. Bring it to class. We'll pin it on the wall around your name. At the end of the month, everyone who has 20 or more leaves will get a prize. Doesn't that sound like a good deal? But the dilemma, Benny is out with pneumonia. Serious case of pneumonia. He was not able to come to school at all for that whole entire month. He got there the day that everybody was counting their leaves. They all counted their leaves. Many of them had 20 or more and got their prizes. But he had been sick. He didn't have any leaves. He didn't get any prize. Is that fair? Is that fair? Would you not give him a second chance? Uh, could he just run out on the tree in the schoolyard and grab 20 leaves and bring them in? 
After all, he's been sick all my well, that the way the story ended the way I told it. But the Bible has a has a little thing that I would like to talk to you about from Numbers chapter 9. It's not a familiar passage. It was the second year after the children of Israel had left the, prom, uh, the, the land of Egypt. They're on the way to the promised land, but during that period of wandering time, it's the second year, and Moses gets the people together. He gives them instructions. On the first month, the 14th day of this year, we're going to celebrate Passover. All of the rites and the rituals that surround Passover, we're going to honor them all. All of the rules and regulations, we're going to honor them. And on the 14th day of this second month, of, this, of the first month of this second year, we're going to celebrate Passover. What a glorious time. They all began preparing. They had to cleanse themselves for a certain number of days, so they, everybody was doing that, getting prepared. It came the 14th day of the first month of the second year, and they celebrated their Passover. It was a wonderful time. But there was a group of men that came to Moses at the ending of the Passover. And they said, Moses, we defiled ourselves with a dead body. Part of the deal was you could not touch a dead body and be clean. You'd have to cleanse yourself for so many days and, and purify yourself so that you could then come back into the presence of God. And so in this case... They said, Moses, we've touched a dead body, so we're not clean, so we were not able to partake of the Passover. But Moses, we've been clean all the way up to that point. So is there any way that we can do something to celebrate some kind of a Passover? Now when I asked you all ago, did you have, would you make exception for little Benny? Some of you said no, but that's not what Moses said. Moses gave a wise answer. Moses said, let me talk to God about this and see what he says. So Moses went and talked to God about the issue. These men have touched a dead body. They've defiled themselves and cannot, did not honor the Passover, partake of the Passover. So what should they do? And God told Moses, tell them this. So Moses goes back to those men, gathers them around, gathers the leaders of the people. It's an important decree from God. This is what God told Moses to say. Tell these men that I'm going to make special arrangement for them. I'm going to offer them an opportunity to celebrate what became known as the second Passover. On the second month, on the 14th day, exactly one month from that first Passover time, on that second month, the 14th day, those men who touched a body, or perhaps if they were out of the country and couldn't celebrate Passover, I'm going to give them a second chance to be able to partake of the Passover. I want you to know there is a principle in God's Word about second chances. Understand, at the close of the book of Revelation, it talks about as a tree falls, so shall it lay. Don't expect after your death for you to be able to go back and, and repent and try to clean things up and lay aside the old and pick up the new because as a tree falls, so shall it lie. But while there's breath, God wants to offer you a second chance. He was able to shuffle the entire schedule of an entire nation to accommodate a second Passover. What would he do to accommodate you, for, to, to give you a second chance? God wants you to have a second chance. It's never too late. We can always have a second chance. As the musicians come tonight, it's as if God is telling us 
I turn coal into diamonds. I turn sand into pearls. I turn a worm into a butterfly. And I can turn your life around too. I can turn your life around too. Some of you I know more than others. Some of you I know some situations, but others I don't know any situations. But I knew, do know that tonight in this house, there are people who are struggling and need that fresh glimpse of a second chance. You need what a second chance can bring to you. That freshness of a relationship with God that's fresh and new. An understanding of the mercies of God or new in the morning. That, that fresh awareness of that. You need that second chance of developing a, a strong relationship with God that will carry you through the troubles that you're facing. You need fresh faith in the awesome God that the groups sang about so capably tonight. Yes, God is an awesome God. He's a holy God. We know there's descriptions. He's a God of love. He's a God that is just. All those descriptions. But the fact that He is a God of mercy and He will offer us those second chances. He doesn't expect us to forgive all those many times without Him being willing to forgive all those many times. Now, I've preached this tonight, running the risk that you would think that I am saying we can take God's justice for granted. I mean, God's mercies for granted. We can live however we want to live and just know that, well, before we die, we'll take advantage of that second chance. That's not what we're doing. It's not what we're doing. Billy Sunday, preacher of bygone years, he talked about deathbed repentance. He said it's kind of like you, you burn your candle for the devil all your life, and then when it comes time to die, you just blow the smoke of your candle in God's face. It was Billy Sunday. I'm not talking about that kind of second chances, but I'm talking about today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when we can take advantage of that second chance that God offers us. Put off the old, put on the new. What, what do you need to get rid of out of your life? What's, what's in the jar that you don't want there? Because God can't pour His fullness into you when you have some of that stuff in there. Tonight, repentance is a wonderful event a wonderful experience, a wonderful practice to take rid of, take some of that stuff out of the jar of your life, get rid of it, and allow God to pour all of His mercy and goodness and love and kindness back into your life. When you're struggling, He can pour strength into your life. When you're needing direction, He can be that compass for your soul. When you're needing comfort, He can be the assurance to you that He is near, holding you close. He's the God of the second chance. I'm glad I can take advantage of that. I'm glad you can take advantage of that. Earlier I asked how many of you have taken advantage of that. Many of you have. If there's a strained relationship between you and God, tonight's a good night to ask Him about that second chance stuff. He's got it for you and for me.
Don't give up on yourself because God hasn't given up on you. Don't think it's over in your own attempts because until you're leaning fully on His strength, you really haven't even attempted. Do it in Jesus' name. Shall we stand today as the musicians sing, play? Hallelujah.